millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. Hello and welcome folks, this is Dumbdy Dum, this is me Royfield and I think you all know that I've got somewhat of a bee in my bonnet about this modern slavery storyline. As I said on a few Dumbdy Dums ago, you can't be of West Indian origin in Britain and not have at least one conversation uh, with with your friends and with your peers of which slavery isn't brought up. But we all thought this was something which was consigned to the dustbin of history. The British Empire abolished slavery in the 1830s. But no, this practice is still alive and kicking today. And obviously, as fans of the Archers, uh, we've been aware of that because of the, uh, the great storyline that has been running through the show for actually much longer than we think. Philip Moss has been in the village for quite some time. He was the urbane, boring, um, somewhat ill-fitted partner for our lovely Krusty. But he's turned out to be a right utter badden. Um, not only is he Welsh, he's also a slave master. We So we actually have two incredibly well-versed uh, voices on the subject. We have award-winning Guardian journalist Amelia Gentleman, who's written about modern slavery and is also an Archers fan. And we have Justine Curl back from Unseen. Uh, right, I'm going to start with you, Amelia. First off, what is your Archers vintage? Um, so it's slightly hit and miss. I began to listen, I think, seriously about five years ago when I had insomnia and I listened to it in the night on my phone and I thought it would help me to go to sleep and how stupid and and insulting that idea was because actually it was completely gripping and I got completely hooked and it was not a good um, cure for insomnia at all. And so now, yeah, I do I do listen. I do um, listen often on my phone um, in the evening 
yeah, not not on the radio at, at, at seven, but, you know, when I can. Uh, Justine, I know you're the big cheese over there at Unseen. Have you dipped your toe into Archer's waters? Did, had you done that before this storyline or have you subsequently since? Yeah, no, I hadn't, to be honest. I have to put my hands up to that. Um, I hadn't, but I have started dipping in and out on this storyline. And I think it's a, a great way of uh, raising awareness of uh, the issue of modern slavery and kind of how it really affects us all in our day-to-day lives. Amelia, back to you. You broke uh, the Windrush scandal and you've written about modern slavery before. Why was this specifically an issue that you felt professionally you really needed to write about? Uh, So I've been um, looking on and off at modern slavery from a very um, niche uh, perspective, looking at um, the exploitation of young people from Vietnam who um, have, over the last uh, 20 years, come to this country, sometimes trafficked, um, sometimes smuggled into the country illegally to work, some of them as uh, slaves, some of them as exploited workers in um, both the nail bar industry and also in cannabis cultivation. And I suppose I became interested in it because I couldn't believe that there was a trade that brought um, often kind of teenage boys to this country from the other side of the world to um, act as cannabis gardeners um, locked up in terraced houses, cultivating cannabis 24-7, not paid for it, without any freedom. It just felt such a kind of extraordinary phenomenon. I've been kind of writing on and off about that for the last decade. And and I suppose, Justine, that if your average Brit is going to have an opinion about modern slavery, they are going to think it's the other, aren't they? They're going to think it's foreigners, it's going to be illegal trafficking into the country. We don't need to worry about our own kith and kin, Brits, English, Welsh, Scottish, Irish, uh, actually be falling prey to, to this hideous practice. Well, I, and I think that's the challenge we've got with raising awareness about this, because um, you know, I can say categorically from experience that, um, you know, modern slavery and exploitation no knows, knows no bounds. So, you know, it doesn't matter what background you're from, what religion, race, creed, colour, it does not matter. Um, and what we see here in the UK is that we've got loads of UK nationals who are being exploited. And it's not just um, women in the sex trade. It's also men for labour exploitation, as we've seen in the Archers. Um, And as Amelia points out, it's also young people. But we're seeing more young British kids getting caught up in things like county lines. So they're being forced to run drugs by um, drug dealers and by gangs um, and really get into that life of crime. When they want to get out of it, they can't because of all of the threats of violence. And it's exactly the same right across the piece. You know, the nail bars, particularly with Vietnamese, but but also other nationalities as well. Construction workers, we see it in car washes, um, we see it in hospitality, we see it right across the piece. And, you know, that's what we need to get people to understand. We've just come through a pandemic. We're just leaving the EU. Um, And all of those things create an environment where workers are either not coming here from other countries, and a lot of our low-skilled, low-paid work was reliant on EU um, 
nationals coming to work, for example, you know, we've got more people who've lost their jobs. Um, unemployment has gone up um, significantly over the last six months. And so we're concerned that more and more people are going to get exploited because of the circumstances. Two things I need to ask you, uh, Justine, before we go back on to Amelia. Could you give us some kind of sense of the raw figures? How big is this issue in Britain today? And then secondly, what is the definition of slavery for slash and or modern slavery? We're always told this is a storyline about modern slavery. Your, your first question around the, the scale, you know, right across the world, there are estimates of anywhere between kind of 22, 65 million people in some kind of modern slavery. Here in the UK, uh, an estimate uh, a few years ago from the government was that there was 10 to 13,000 people at any one time. Unfortunately, we think that it's much higher than that. We think it's in the tens of thousands, probably nearer to 100,000. And so that's the challenge we've got. It, it's really hidden. It's pernicious. Uh, the government's identifying about 10,000 victims a year. Um, now, we, through the helpline, are identifying about 3,700. So and we're already up to that lower um, uh, you know, estimate of, of what we think we see. Um, and then when we think about modern slavery versus, you know, kind of historic transatlantic slave trade, I think people need to understand that we're not really talking about exactly the same thing. You know, we're not talking about shackles. We're not talking about people bought and sold on streets. Um, but what we're talking about are people who are psychologically controlled. Some are kept in houses, some are kept in basements. We've had examples of that. Um, many are put um, out to work, either in the sex trade or all of those industries that I mentioned previously. Um, but quite often it's a lot around financial exploitation. So we're seeing more and more people having their bank accounts taken over. So they're working for a legitimate business, but actually none of the money is going to them. And so we need to understand, we need to raise awareness of all of our people in society um, and that includes businesses, that includes people who work with vulnerable people um, and including the statutory agencies like the police, the NHS and local authorities as well. Um, the thing which I um, really have understood about this whole storyline is that it's it's Brits who fall prey to this. Generally, there is some level of vulnerability. They've just come out of the care system or they've just come out of prison, or maybe they have learning difficulties. Um, specifically, this storyline, it kind of broke uh, broke cover, so to speak, in the Grey Gables explosion, which is spring of, of last year. Amelia, when Philip Moss took, I think it was Blake, to hospital, that's when we kind of realised that something was, was really up. Was it at that point that you said, hmm, I'm an Archer's listener, but also an investigative journalist. I'm going to really keenly uh, listen to this storyline to see how authentic it actually is going to play out. Uh, no, it was much later. Um, I think it was um, when I um, heard the, the scene between um, Philip and Victoria who um, comes. Um, so Victoria is the woman who comes to take um, the slaves off um, Philip's hands and I think um, talks about paying a sum of about 20 pounds for one of them. Um, that, that's when I began to think, um, 
both that this was kind of not just interesting as um, something to listen to on the archers, but actually interesting as, as something to write about. Um, and I feel kind of both quite positive about this as a as a plot line because I think it's really good that the program kind of raises important current issues to kind of provoke debate. But I also feel slightly sceptical about elements of it. And I suppose I felt that that scene pushed it for me in terms of how um, plausible I felt it was. I must admit that did create a lot of debate between me and, and my co-hosts because not that I can understand denying somebody their freedom or economic freedom but the story that Philip Moss gave which is that somebody used to work for him then they then he had to let them go they became homeless he found them on the street that was kind of plausible and you could put one step in front of the other you could see how he got to this place where the big leap for us all was there's a network of individuals buying selling others so justine could, could you speak to that because I, i'm exactly with amelia here 20 pounds and how how um ingrained is this network the very fact that the the one thing if we've learned anything is that there is this term horses for mm. the enslaved so that shows us that there is some level of institutionalized slavery going on with people buying and selling. So I know that Unseen were asked to help with the plotting of this storyline. So first off, tell us how big this network of slavers is and then how believable it is that somebody could be sold for £20 because that just beggared belief. Yeah, absolutely. And I mentioned earlier about the transatlantic slave trade and this not happening on the streets in, in the open. But but unfortunately, the, the storyline is correct. This does actually happen. And, and quite often we see organised crime groups passing people from, from one place to another. Um, and, and people are genuinely treated as commodities. Um, and when they are of no use to, to one person, they may pass them on to somebody else. Um, and, and actually, it's not just a case of being exploited in, in one way or another. We see a lot of, you know, um, Amelia talked about the young Vietnamese boys. We see a lot of uh, Vietnamese boys and girls coming in, uh, working in nail bars, for example, and then being sexually exploited at night. And when they, you know, some of them, the young girls may fall pregnant and um, they're thrown out on the street. And um, the other boys and, and the men who, who can be traded um, then they are, and, and they are genuinely treated as uh, commodities. And you're quite right, um, in many respects um, and, and in many circles, they will be um, uh, uh, treated um, in, in exactly the same way as the storyline. Mm. So, so I've talked previously about um, vulnerable vulnerable adults, and it's going to be people maybe have, as I said, issues to do with uh, learn, learning issues and or have come out of some level of, of of an institution, so are rootless. But there's also a level of kind of Stockholm system. How how important do you think that has been, Amelia, in kind of the description of and the, the portrayal of the storyline? Because I think we're all struck. There was this one episode, which was a bottle episode, which was um, the, the guys, it was Blake, Kenzie and Jordan, all talking together. And they heard that they were going to have a new 
boss. And one of them, I can't remember if it was Blake or Kenzie, was actually going to buy a card for Philip to thank him for all of the support he'd actually given them. So um, can you can you kind of, kind of speak to that? Because I think that was just another kind of like shocking element. I suppose I'm not really familiar with with um, that side of it. Um, as I say, I've, I've looked a lot more at um, people who have been enslaved as, as a result of being brought into this country, being trafficked into this country, and the kind of core element that keeps them um, enslaved and, and um, at, at the kind of under the control of, of, of the person who has who's exploiting them is not having the correct documentation. And so being, you know, knowing that they're here illegally, knowing that to go to the police will call them, cause them problems, knowing that these problems could lead to them being sent back home, being deported, knowing that they're in kind of debt bondage to, to people in another country. And I suppose, um, again, I, I kind of bow to the um, expertise of, of Justine and Unseen, but I, there, there is just something that feels one notch beyond the kind of boundary of, of, of total plausibility around this, because I, I suppose to kind of put my, my put a finger precisely on it, I think it's around what is exploitation and, and what is slavery. And I know, Justine, you, you talking, you kind of bracketed the two together that, you know, we're talking about slavery and exploitation. And I think that there's a kind of sometimes quite a dangerous um, crossing over of those two categories because sort of labour exploitation is one thing and it's and it's very, very kind of common. And we talk about slavery as if it's totally it is that much more extreme other thing that people who are here without documentation are kind of much more vulnerable to I'm sorry Royfield that wasn't a very kind of precise no, no, answer no, no, to your question actually you've you completely put your finger on the ambiguity and how that has actually played out in, in the discussions that many people have had on various forums that a lot of people have said this isn't slavery because slavery means iron chains and and we understand institutionally, emotionally, that's a much better word, emotionally, that slavery is somebody of another skin colour and, and they fundamentally they are picking cotton or something or another. We understand that. And it's been hard for a lot of people to understand why, but they can just get up and go. This is wrong this is exploitation through to, and I've seen this on, on a few forums with people saying he was doing them a favour because they were homeless. He took them off the street and he's housed them. So, so Justine, can, can you can it speak to some people's confusion as to what is the correct label for this? Is this slavery? Is this exploitation? Or is this some benevolent uh, philanthropist helping out somebody who just found themselves homeless? Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, you, you both have hit the nail on the head, really, because if you look at, um, and I don't want to kind of go into the, the legal definitions, but we're talking about human trafficking, we're talking about slavery, servitude, and forced to compulsory labour. Part of human trafficking is is 
uh, human trafficking for non-sexual exploitation, which is labour exploitation. So we use that term, we ban that term around. Um, But I think it's all on a spectrum. And I think the challenge is working out. um, And and maybe this is where we have the problem with um, the criminal justice system as well, working out well, what are we actually dealing with here? You know, as you've said, people making assumptions that, um, you know, somebody's done them a favour. Um, but but just to kind of go back to your, your last point around Stockholm Syndrome, we do see that a lot. We see a lot of people um, being grateful for the one person that is is actually abusing and exploiting them. Um, and, and it's very difficult to to break that relationship. And especially when that's happened over a period of time. And we've seen people in the UK who've been in these types of situations for years. One, one guy that um, we were involved with um, was, was in a situation for 12 years. He had learning difficulties, like you said. So, you know, targeting those vulnerabilities, somebody who's going to be more compliant, somebody who can be psychologically controlled, because you're absolutely right. This is not about locking people up. This is about you going out and doing what you're told, because if you don't, I'm going to hurt your family. I'm going to hurt you. I know where you live. You know, and all of those threats will keep those individuals being compliant and doing exactly what the exploiter wants. But I agree in terms of the terminology. It's very difficult. Um, and a lot of it is about that feeling of not having any choice and the control methods that are used and the threats and the coercion that do for me tip it into uh, modern slavery. And, and that's what, what we're talking about when we talk about modern slavery. But yeah, it's definitely on the spectrum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Amelia, uh, Victoria uh, whooshed into Ambridge with a flash car and bought three, three human beings. At that point, you said crumbs. I need to break cover and admit to the whole world that, yes, I might be an award-winning journalist, but I'm also a fan of the Archers and I need to commit this uh, basically to print. So how quickly did you put the the article together? 
do you have to then go to your editor and say, Crumbs, there's this big, there's this thing happening in the Archers? Or is it a case of, Amelia, whatever you want to write, eh, fill some, fill some space upon The Guardian, please? <laughs> so I um, got in touch with the arts editor um, and said that there was this very interesting plotline and they were delighted to have a piece about it. I think um, there's a real understanding that the Archers over the years has been really um, good at putting under the spotlight um, kind of ill-understood uh, but important issues. So obviously with um, Helen's coercive con troll um, plotline, but also with um, stories around, now I've forgotten, the, <laughs> I've forgotten the name of the twin sister who had very bad um, depression um, last year. Oh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth's depression, exactly, thank you. So I think there is a kind of editorial understanding that the Archers, you know, knows what it's talking about and is a... Um, it's a good talking point and our readers love reading about it. So yeah, that, that was an easy, um, an easy sell to editors. Then I was lucky enough to talk to um, Jeremy Howe, the editor of, of the series, and also someone called um, Susan Bannister from an organization called Hope for Justice, which I, um, I think also advised on the plotline over the last um, few months. So for me, it was, yeah, it was a really kind of fun and interesting way of looking at a, a subject that I've, yeah, been writing about over, over the years. And I, I kind of wrote this and I thought, oh, that's a bit cheesy, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this anyway. How good is Auntie at nannying us? As you, as you said, we've had coercive control. I did not know that was a thing. I'm not kind of answering the question myself. I didn't know coercive control was a thing before. Um, they are now touching on, on on mental health and also with with male kind of image dysphoria, the fact that Johnny and his baldness and, and whatever, in those kind of lightly done. When these storylines come in, you're, you're, you're a fan of the Archers. I know you've only been listening for five years, so you're, you're still a noob. You're still figuring everything out. But do they do a good job? Does Auntie in its guise as uh, putting on the arches, do they do a good job at um, taking us through complex societal issues? With this one, as I say, I've, I've had some um, doubts <laughs> about the plausibility of it. I do have some doubts about the kind of speed of the transformation of, of Philip from this kind of benign figure to an evil uh, slave master. And I think, as you said, the idea that he could have persuaded himself he was doing a good thing and that it was just, you know, he was doing the, the people a favour, that, that slightly becomes a bit harder to believe when he when he's negotiating to, to sell his horses um, for £20. I mean, I, I just felt that was a bit silly. However, I, what I thought has been really interesting is, is the kind of fallout and, and the way that... Um, Everyone in the village is feeling incredibly um, guilty and complicit about the real enthusiasm that they had for the kind of cheap um, deals that Philip struck for them and how little they asked, how few questions they asked, how they didn't even bother to talk to the workers, how they just assumed that the workers were... Um, you know, being, being prayed properly. And I think that that's a really, really interesting scenario to think about because 
there is this question of how much responsibility consumers have. You know, I'm not really um, resolved, I guess, in, in how I feel about that, because on the one hand, all of the um, campaigns that we have from charities about modern slavery do, do kind of say, well, look out for the signs and call our hotline if you're worried. But but it's so hard. It's so hard to know. I mean, because if you go to a, a car wash and you're not totally sure, I, it, it's a massive leap then to, to feel sure enough that you're going to contact the authorities. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in this kind of second part of the plot line about consumer responsibility, I suppose. Dare I say, that's the reason why we have government, isn't it? put in those laws and those rules so that we can go about our business and we don't have to be thinking about what every action that we do is the person we're dealing with at some point breaking the law, doing something illegal. You're completely right. There is a, and it goes to the point of where does exploitation start and where does coercion uh, begin and and, and slavery? Because it, it is all, all on a spectrum. The interesting point for me in what you said um the other interesting point was um that there is this big debate going on in the village and reading your article again this morning and it's a question now for you justine i thought to myself um this has happened in a small village a small english village and the explosion happened at the local hotel and our beloved Linda Snell, MBE, don't you know, uh, now um, was gravely injured. Apart from people ringing the hotline, and if you've got learning difficulties, if English is not your first language, etc., you probably don't know the hotline exists. But how do these practices become uncovered? For me, if this happened in a small village, and the fact that everyone's in everyone else's business... I would have thought that one of the characters, let's say Linda, would have spoken to uh, one of the one of the workmen, forward slash slaves, and her social antenna would have been uh, pinging, so to speak. So it's a long-winded setup for me to say, Justine, do some of these practices become uncovered because good citizens? actually do realise what's going on. They do question the workmen, etc. Um, is that, does that often happen? Is that plausible? Because I thought it would have happened in a small English village, I would have thought. Yeah, and, and it does. And I think there's there's a couple of things there. So I, I think firstly, um, you know, if you look, uh, we, we've had a pandemic, so much of the economy has, has not been working as it as it ordinarily does. Um, but we still had 8,000 calls and contacts into the helpline last year. Um, that was indicating 3,700 potential victims um, here in the UK. Um, so we are still getting those calls in on a daily basis. The majority of our calls do come from members of the public who have seen something, are concerned about a situation. Um, but we also get about 15% of our calls from um, people who are in situations themselves. Um, and, and we do everything we can to get people to understand that there, there is a, a number out there that they can call, that they can call uh, the Non-Slavery and Exploitation Helpline um, that Unseen runs. And, and that's really um, important for us. The second element of that is the education around that. So 
it's no good just on scene going out and saying, please call this number. Um, we work with so many different agencies and organisations across um, the country, with others, uh, other NGOs in our sector, um, with the government. So when the government put out information, it's got the Modern Slavery Helpline number on it. And we work with schools, we work with uh, local authorities, we work with the NHS. And that's the way you start to develop that recognition and understanding. And as Amelia said, sometimes it's very, very subtle and it's very difficult and it can be quite difficult to pick the phone up. But people are much more inclined to pick the phone up to a charity than they are to pick that phone up and call 101 and speak to the police. Um, and, and people tell us that. That's not our assumption. Um, they will say, I didn't want to call the police. I just want to let you know. And we can actually talk to them and explain to them what they think they've seen. Um, and we can just take that information and, and not make any judgment about that at all. Um, and I think that helps people understand that, you know, having that way in which to um, report information in a confidential way um, and really think that you're you're doing the right thing, I think is important. Just the point around um, uh, consumers, because yes, okay, consumers do have a role to play. Um, if I want to get my uh, block paving done and uh, a guy turns up with people who are tumbling out the back of a van um, and they're £3,000 cheaper than anybody else that I've had a quote from, then I should start to think, how is that? Why is that? What's What's wrong? You know, the workers don't speak English sometimes or they look very bedraggled. Um, and I think we have a role to play in that. If you're asking people to go in and choose between a 30p or 50p cabbage um, and the business hasn't done its due diligence around um, its workforce and its supply chains, then I think consumers are much less um, likely to know or understand um, the difference between the two. And you could argue that both have been... Um, supply to the business uh, legitimately but actually if you're pressing down on price then you quite often will find that there is exploitation in and down supply chains and these businesses are so far removed from that that um you know we're, we're not going to see it so you know i think everybody has a part to play um and as you said government with strong regulatory frameworks around um employment but unfortunately, your one and two man bands don't, you know, tend to um, not have the same regulatory controls as uh, those who are working in big business. So there, there's always going to be a challenge there. Have there been more calls to your organisation since the plot um, aired on the, on the show? Um, yes, actually. So so we were seeing a real downturn in calls and contacts. Um, but uh, what we're now seeing is that that's actually creeping up again. Um, since we did some, uh, you know, uh, we spoke um, on, on a previous podcast um, and the plot is continuing. Um, and we're now starting to see um, an upturn um, in the, the calls and contacts that are coming in. And that's what raising awareness does, getting people to understand more about the issue, more about the subtleties, and to say it's okay to pick the phone up and talk to somebody because ultimately you might be stopping somebody else from getting into uh, an exploitative situation. Not only, dare I say, as this storyline informed us and um, it's entertained us, uh, but it's also um, done some good 
that um, that people who find themselves at the wrong end of this practice, well, there's not a right end of this practice, but uh, definitely at the sharp end uh, of being able uh, to uh, realise that they are in this position because uh, of the sharp eyes of, um, of, of good citizens. Amelia, gentlemen, I'm going to leave the last word uh, to you on, on this. Now, Borchester Echo is coming out this week. What should the headline be? Because we know, we know that Susan Carter and Neil Carter uh, were tapped up by, by Rebecca, a journalist. I don't know if you know Rebecca professionally, but, um, <laughs> but I'm not very impressed by Rebecca and her ethical standards. Oh, I have to say, <laughs> tell, tell us why. Tell us why. I thought she, I, I thought she was just doing her job. But anyway, because of the way that she um, tried, she got an interview with Linda basically by lying to Linda, saying she wanted to talk to her about her MBE. It wasn't true, mm-hmm. and then um, she sort of buttered up Susan in the shop saying that she wanted to hear one thing and it sounds like has written an article that's you, you know really been quite unfair and twisted her words so I think maybe she's done you know maybe she's done an excellent um job in turning around a kind of strong investigative story but she has certainly manipulated the people she interviewed um which I, I don't think is very nice what should the headline be in this week's Porchester Echo? It's, I think it's going to be, we, we, were, we were all victims. In, in a way, that's true. I mean, yeah. Amelia Gentleman, Justine Coral, thank you for coming on to this very special dum dum and helping to shine some more light on this hideous, nefarious practice of modern slavery. The Just Giving page is still up. You can go onto it in the show notes. You'll see a link. Click on that. Now, I know um, Christmas is just over a month ago uh, and and we're all hard hard up, so to speak. Uh, But if you can donate some money, anything you can to, uh, to our friends at Unseen through our Just Giving page, you know what? You'll have a warm, fluffy glow and you'll be helping to put another nail into the coffin of modern slavery. Thank you, Dumdy Dummers. And thank you again to Justine, Coral, and to Amelia Gentleman for, for joining us on this very special one-off Dumdy Dum. Tarara bit, tatty bye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.